off the record, on the rocks. All right, everybody, welcome back. The first official recording in 2022. I'm back with my buddy Ancarino Lara here to talk about all things NFT, Web 3.0. I wanted to do... Oh, I just did it. Web 3.0. I just said this is a Oh, my God. I'm going to well, ha- roll with happy it. New- happy New Year anyway. <laughs> let's, just, let's just shake off the, like, the 21s and let's get back into the deuce deuce. And, you know, you get one... You get one faux pas per one three point oh. And you, and you, and Do you, not and you call it three point oh. No, because then you'd be laughed right out of the community room on Discord. Let's talk about <laughs> how we got here. Um, I think a quick recap on twenty twenty one. You and I got into a groove, just catching up on all things NFT, crypto, Web three. What was moving in the industry? We talked about back in August, September, October governments using cryptocurrency we were focused in on all the potential use cases we talked about migrants at the border we 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 went into a bunch of different rabbit holes i kind of went down the nft path um you giving me all the alpha on which of the coins were moving i think looking at all these cross-chain contracts polygon polka dot we went down some of those rabbit holes here we are 2022 some big movements in governments We can cover that. We can talk through new creative kind of NFT 2.0 moving into the AI space and what NFTs Mm -hmm. are moving beyond JPEGs. I can give you some alpha on some of the new marketplaces, uh, looksrare.org coming on the scene. Oh, that'd be great, yeah. Talk me through what is it looking like as we enter 2022? Well, let's, uh, you know, I think let's take that first. I'll pick off that first point, um, the government angle, because starting the new year, we, we had talked so much leading into the end of the year about all the blockchain applications that could provide value for countries in developing areas in the world, et cetera, creating opportunities for autonomy and for uh, democracy to, to the beginnings of which to start to be built. But as we start to roll over the new year, not that I'm, it's a cynical view, but it's actually just one more practical view. It's like, what's the first thing that a lot of these governments are going to want to do is an established value. And so we saw El Salvador basically harnessing the power of volcanoes near their natural rivers, creating thermoelectric plants and buying up Bitcoin and making it their you know national currency. Um, you see Every country who has sanctions, who, who the United States has sanctioned, basically saying, we're going to go into Bitcoin because we don't want to deal with your fiat cash sanctions. And then you have Melania Trump, the former first lady, who kind of comes out of nowhere, literally, on the 3rd of January, wishing Bitcoin a happy birthday and announcing an NFT project, which is just a money grab for her because I'm sure she has to make her own money per the marriage relationship with her with her husband. So she's like, wait, I can do this and make 5 million bucks like off the record? <laughs> Let's do it. So you start to have that. And then you see, well, what other countries are going to get into it? And Mexico announces that, yes, in two years, they're going to have their own central bank digital currency. Then Korea says... Hey, we're gonna, you know, we have uh, Democratic presidential candidates who are raising money for for our campaign NFTs, and it, all of a sudden, the it went from, hey, this is stuff that all these terrorists and drug dealers use to. 
actually, we're going to fund key parts of our government. And it's not just countries that are sanctioned or neighbors of America, like Korea is going to do it, South Korea, which, of course, has such a huge NFT gaming market, too. Uh, But then what really caught my attention, I don't know if you saw this, is on the anniversary of our insurrection, a year after January 6th, when the Capitol building was, was breached, there was a similar breaching of federal buildings in Kazakhstan. And there were all these people who firebombed these federal buildings, made the government officials have to exit the building. If you look at pictures online, you'll see they have these perfectly made signs, protest signs that were clearly printed by someone and handed out. There are perfect Russian characters or Kazakh characters or sticks. These people are like, you know, not – they don't seem like they have a lot of money, but they're out there doing something, getting paid maybe, I don't know, to carry these things. The, everyone leaves. And then what happens? Well, either the military or the CIA or whoever it is who funds these kind of foreign uh, unrest and coups suddenly turns off the internet in the entire country. And also, I think, blacks out some cities. And what does that do? Well, I'm not saying I'm some massive conspiracy theorist, but if you had interests in screwing up Russia, messing with China, and plummeting the price of Bitcoin, you did it all in one move. Because you firebomb the federal building, Russia now has to deploy, redeploy troops from Ukraine to the border of Kazakhstan because there's all this stuff flowing between people flowing across. So now they're distracted, which is what we wanted to do with diplomacy. You got China, who I know personally because my uncle works has worked in Kazakhstan for Chevron. There's an old guard of aging Chevron employees who were basically carroted on a string to go to Kazakhstan and live for three months at a time and train all these young people on how to run these refinery rigs and things that are just kind of antiquated. They don't have a lot of good training. And he said he was mostly training all Chinese employees because the number one petroleum refiner in Kazakhstan is China. So now that whole thing just turns off and China's like, wait, what? The oil refineries turned off. What happened? And then, of course, the third thing I just mentioned, and then I'll stop and take a breath, is all of like $1.5 billion in long positions on Bitcoin get liquidated when that price just plummets because 18% of the hash rate of the of Bitcoin went down. Kazakhstan is the second largest Bitcoin mining country in the world, and it drops down to 41 from 65 where it was. So, hey, is it a matter of a day or two before the whales come in and try to buy on a discount? I don't know. It feels like it's something a little bit more than coincidence on all those factors. It's know. a lot to take in. And I think, you you know, you. it feels like, yes, to go where we were, you know, maybe a year ago when we were having these conversations about all of this utility and governments getting involved to, you, you mentioned in there, among the things, South Korean presidential candidate using cryptocurrency to raise funds and issuing NFTs to supporters. And then take everything that you just packaged up. This is government's playing in this space at a very high level, uh, perhaps even, as you said, to avoid sanctions, to create a new economy. Um, you know, I think from a global economy, economic perspective, the U.S. really is not in a strong position when it comes to the use of cryptocurrencies from a, uh, from a fundraising perspective or from a governance perspective and using tokens as you, you know, one of the examples I think you gave in a past episode about like a city being able to optimize its electrical use. Think about the power that these blockchains could actually bring if you made it the currency. That is a lot to think about uh, who's pulling those strings. And I think it's got to be at a high level. It absolutely has to be at the highest governmental levels of playing in all of that to, to take down a country's internet. Yeah, who, who turns off the internet? I mean, it, the idea of it's kind of insane when you think about it. And if you're the second largest Bitcoin mining country in the world, of course, it's like, you know, you got to know what you're doing. But me taking a step back from that, I gave you a ton of those details because I'm just, 
it, it just all smacks of those classic psyops, you know, psychological operations. You know, China, for example, has quote unquote banned Bitcoin five or six times in the last nine years. And they do it about every 18 months. And it's usually to drop the price, manipulate the market. Maybe they have to expose a corrupt official who's doing some illegal Bitcoin stuff. And then it, when the last time China did, if you recall, or it was I forget when this was, was it November or October? You remember it took the price of Bitcoin down to 30K when, the, when they made that announcement. And then what happens next? In the next two to three weeks, it just marches up to 65 like there are definitely these moments where a global power, like you said, can manipulate, can do things at the highest level to, to change the prices. But I guess the overarching thing for me that I find interesting and maybe a little bit disheartening is whereas before it felt like there were a lot of promising projects that were not necessarily on the Bitcoin blockchain that seemed like they would help countries with lots of other needs besides just, quote, making money. <laughs> I feel like where we've come around to is these countries realize, wait a second. If crypto means we can make a whole bunch of money and not deal with the United States dollar, then like, let's do it. And let's worry about, you know, global citizenship later. There has this like vibe of governments and greed, you know, motivated to really drive markets. And it feels like the only ones that are being driven are ones that have real cash value, like NFTs for sale and or Bitcoin mining. I need to do some more research, but I did think about this presidential candidate issuing this NFT to to donators, right, to, to folks who are donating to the campaign. And then think about that all of a sudden from a true utility perspective um, where your candidate, the candidate that you've put your money behind, that you supported publicly and likely voted for, now is in power and can now airdrop you mm-hmm. <laughs> additional mm-hmm. funds or the, you know, the the voting that could take place within that community of the party. There's a lot. I mean, we kind of went down some of these paths, like I said, in a prior conversation, but now you've actually got a candidate doing it. What are the implications? Like what could happen to the party that didn't win, that doesn't hold this NFT of support for the ruling party? That's, that's a s- interesting proposition. It's, it, it's possible. It could happen. And you may have let me give you two things, two two points on that because I haven't thought about what you just described the the like the the relationship that gets created once I have your NFT, I have the toner NFT in my wallet because you're the candidate I'm going to be voting for that I donated to. I now have a tie to you. Like if I ever was made to show my political wallet. Right. then you would know exactly who I donated to right. the because it's also public on the blockchain. But here's one for you. So what? It, listen to a what if. So you're, you're the candidate. You have the NFT. You're selling. You're taking donations in exchange for giving me an NFT. What if you also create your own DAO on top of that that sits, above, of course, below the political election process but has its own way of like, I guess, polling and voting among supporters. Right. These are the issues then, that are most important to my supporters. You could then roll that up and your platform could almost be a real-time changing collection of priorities based on what the DAO is saying, which could be kind of, you could then say with a straight face, here's what the constituency wants. Right. Because you can see the votes. Like, I don't have any, I'm not sugarcoating it. That'd be a very interesting concept, right? It's It continues to fascinate me as I've gone into this world almost a full year now. So I'm being, you know, very honest with myself of I'm I'm in it 
12 months now, but my background, mm. my original degree in political science, you know, studying business, getting a master's degree, and now 12 months inside of this Web3 decentralized environment, all of my, you know, what you just described of what our constituents want and polling and making, you know, analytical sense out of unstructured data in order to make a political move. That's what political science was about. And, you know, here you have a very clean, transparent solution and a real candidate in South Korea, not just talking about it, but doing this in real life today. I think it's one to watch. Um, also DAOs. So if you weren't making, you know, kind of gave the recap on what led you and I here in 2022, DAOs to me feel like is going to be a big topic if everyone was talking about uh, NFTs and metaverse mm. and those you know, those vocabulary words now in the collective vernacular around the globe, I think mm -hmm. the next one that you're going to see people starting to wrap their heads around is DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations where the owners of that collection, the owners of that NFT who have a vested interest because it's connected to their wallet are going to be able to make collective decisions and govern themselves in a decentralized way. I think you're right that that's a very interesting prospect for the next step that a political candidate could take and then apply it to business, then apply mm. it to every other industry they're in. Um, makes sense. DAOs. Is there, is there an opportunity for DAO Phi? <laughs> can, can, can you create an autonomous organization of people who in their own closed pool have a staking and like value generating model? You know, I, mean, I don't know exactly how it would look, but there's everyone is already bought in. If you're in a position to be voting as part of the DAO, what would prevent you from kind of monetizing it beyond it just being like a voting collective? Yeah, but specifically if, for those individuals, and not for anybody else. If portions of people within that are willing to stake their uh, yeah. their holding for a period of time, and all of a sudden there's transparency into that, yeah, you could yeah. create almost this uh, self funding. Uh, self-funding entity, which might be a good segue. You know, there's mm -hmm. kind of a couple of other topics to get to, but I uh, don't know if you caught the the new marketplace on the scene. So as people talk about NFTs and even generally cryptocurrency and, and staking, OpenSea is usually mm -hmm. one of the big marketplaces that comes to mind. Um, they've got a new competitor on the scene, LooksRare.org. Basically, LooksRare.org. Okay. Anyone who spent over, I believe, three ETH during about a six-month period in 2021 on OpenSea was being airdropped looks tokens Oh my god! Uh, at a predefined scale, depending on how much you spent. I went and claimed my looks tokens. I got 125 looks tokens. I think it's probably roughly worth about maybe a thousand bucks or so. And I staked them. So they immediately mm. created a staking mechanism that by signing up, with my wallet, it A, proved that I had spent this amount on another marketplace. So now they've got the right audience. They know people who are buying and selling NFTs are now logged in. You had to list an NFT for sale. So now they've mm -hmm. got inventory, check. And three, they gave me their token and I could have either immediately transferred it for ETH or they gave me a mechanism to say, nope, I'm gonna stake it and I'm gonna <laughs> earn rewards off of purchases. Uh, sales and transactions on the marketplace. And the best things that I, you know, see in this are, I spent a lot of money on OpenSea. 
I didn't get a token mm. from OpenSea. They didn't give me any rewards. I didn't get any benefit. I didn't get any stars in my app, you know, after spending all this money. Um, yeah. But LooksRare said, you know what? We'll reward those users and we'll move them over here. And I think if OpenSea doesn't have a response to this, uh, they're going to find themselves quickly being disintermediated. And mm. you're also starting to see them play, I think, from uh, with the big boys, getting into the regulatory game, mm -hmm. uh, freezing assets. Uh, this is where I see the talk about decentralization and being able to take down a competitor. You can literally steal your company's competitors by giving them a vested stake in the business, a la looks looksrare.org. Exactly. Yeah. So I mean, what when take? This is the first I've seen this, but now as you're describing it, I think that your your segue is like wildly apropos because it this feels like a DAO in a weird way. And, and let, me, let me go with this. It feels like, so it's like, let's just call it DEX 2.0, okay? Decentralized Exchange 2.0. Well, what is it? Well, you go to an existing exchange where there's just a bunch of people buying and selling shit. You then tell them if they, if you, you've already pre-qualified to like to be a part of this, let's just call it the DAO for a moment. It's like a DAO DEX hybrid. You already pre-qualify because you've already invested a certain amount of money into this world in the form of buying and selling an NFT. So therefore, you already have permission. You're already part of the community. You, it's a publicly available thing. We know your wallet, so you're allowed. And then well, why do I come here? Well, gosh, here's a whole bunch of people who actually really do buy things, not just a volume of random of open sea randos who just show up and look around and like make fake bids. And on top of that, like you're saying, the royalty program, or should say loyalty program, perfect taking like the airline miles or the Starbucks bucks or whatever, and like, let's do it. And in what form? Well, obviously in tokens for the exchange, the DAO or whatever we're going to call this thing. Um, and then you could, you could ask them, like you're basically saying, hey, what's popular? What do you like? You don't even, you could ask them or you can just watch their behavior. But I feel like this kind of lens focused in on the actual community of people who are willing to spend three ETH on these suddenly gives you a data set, which is so much more val valuable than like what OpenSea's, you know, they have the more broad view of the world, you know, it's more of a Google look, but this looks, sh looks rare. .org. I'm going to have to play with it. I think this could be really cool. Yeah. Um, and I think they took a playbook. I mean, there were a couple of other, um, uh, the ENS, so the ETH domain registrar, they did an airdrop kind of out of the blue. I don't know if you caught that. That was from no. a month oh, or so yeah, ago. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you told me to go get one. I didn't actually go grab one. And then I heard that for every one you registered, you even got a drop for Right, exactly. Oh, um, so how so much did you get for that? I don't remember, but I'm still holding. So they didn't immediately have a staking mechanism, but I'm just looking at these two projects as... ENS didn't really have a competitor, but they still rewarded people who made purchases of these domains. Mm -hmm. um, and then you see LooksRare sort of applying that same airdrop methodology to reward the community, but they straight up had a competitor uh, mm. in OpenSea. And I think OpenSea needs to, you know, think about how are they going to reward this community that, you know, they just got valued at something like 16 billion, took another round of funding, you know, are getting into the, the big corporate game what about the people who put them in that position? You know, what do I get for having spent that money on the marketplace? Well, now you're asking the great, the great question, which is, you know, are do these companies, does Tim Cook get paid $87 million for a salary, you know, on the backs of his $65,000 a year workers at the infinite loop in Cupertino, you know, we all go buy Apple products just to pad the pockets of the executives on some level, 
everyone goes to OpenSea to pad the po- pockets of the you know creators of it. And like you said, the OpenSea move, just the re- latest round that they that they raised was I want to say three hundred million dollars. Um, you know, it's specifically for an investment into the NFT community and the Web three community. Which I mean, like, what does that even mean? It's called OpenSea, of course it is. But some of the new people they hired, I was pretty particularly interested in because the gentleman who used to run product for YouTube is someone who I personally interacted with a lot over the years, and he just got hired. Um, and he is really, really good. Um, his name is Shiva Shiva Raja Raman. And he was the one who led all of the community pages, all of the the brand channels on YouTube. And we partnered with them to deliver these user-generated content experiences within the YouTube walls, et cetera. But kind of a real forward-looking, wanting to push the envelope, bend the rules kind of product guy that are hard to come by, to be honest, at Google, where things are pretty by the book. Like They don't have that Facebook vibe where you break stuff. Like Google's a little more careful. So bringing him on to me says, well, geez, now they have a tether into one of the main product dudes at Google, you've already seen how Coinbase has hired all these Facebookers. There's just a lot of that incestuousness of executives now to where you can say, yeah, I can see this year, this time, say maybe this year, October, November, during an acquisition season, right before Thanksgiving, does OpenSea go to Google? Does Coinbase go to Facebook? Does like, or Meta, you know, that does, where, where, where is the alphabet going to want to go grab that? Is there an O right now? Is there an O in the alphabet? Because if not, it's going to be open C. <laughs> ah, oh, that's good. I, I mean, I haven't seen this kind of a shuffle in a long time, but I have uh, in the past couple of days seen a couple of meta executives leaving mm. meta to go to Coinbase. I can't remember mm. exactly who it is I saw. And then I also read an article talking about is, is Zuckerberg's focus on meta going to impact their long-term uh, revenue opportunities. People, I think, re- waking up to the fact that he's going double down on Meta, and all of a sudden they're not the. That's not what the executives are not how the executives who are there want to build it. So the people who want to build it in a truly decentralized way are running to the other guys now. So did he, you know, uh, sort of shoot himself in the foot by trying to be the first mover and get out in front? Granted, he still's got you know the the money the the well financed pockets and the people mm-hmm. uh you know supposedly 10,000 developers working on this thing but i'm seeing what feels like at least to me as a as somewhat of an exodus of some top level executives going to the competitors yeah well i mean but just to speak quickly on that uh, on the exodus you know i've you know you and i've been around the block for a while i've been around the block a little bit longer than you um but we've all seen it i mean back from their web one days right when when back in the web one when it was just called web <laughs> the internet the internet um, you know there were a lot of shuffling of executives at important places and a lot of it came with publishing houses and like it's sort of sales and marketing type executives really drove things since product wasn't really a thing yet and then as product starts to develop in the web 2 world and then you start involving users and like you know comparative shopping and now everyone's spending money online but they're also comfortable giving their opinions and comments and etc and then we know that evolves and where we go from there into social and mobile but there's a you unless you do dramatic things as the leader of an organization like i've been in plenty of enterprise level companies you know three thousand to twenty thousand employees etc where you can't just snap your fingers all the time 
and get everybody to come on sides, right? There's going to be enough people who are going to be with very sage and sober advice saying, well, this, you know, this is our, not our core business. And so we shouldn't put in, there's a business school rules about how much you risk and blah, 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 blah. And Zuckerberg, I feel like has demonstrated that he doesn't give a shit about what financial anybody's tell him. He goes from his gut. He's, you know, the Steve Jobs incarnate or whatever he wants to think of himself. You know, he already swindled the, the Vosses uh, out of it. You know, he's, he's, a, he's cutthroat. Like he's, he's make sure he has all the voting power. So what are the moves he's made in the last five years? Well, how about WhatsApp, right? Building out a massive international audience because the metaverse ultimately is international. How about Oculus? Like just owning effectively the only metaverse tech that anyone talks about um, is, is a huge piece. You know, he started the whole, uh, what was it called? I'm forgetting now, like Libra. It was like um, the, 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 the token, there was going to be a yeah. Coke coins. Kind of learn maybe a little something. You, got, you get burned, you play with matches, right? Okay, let's think about this again. Well, now we're making a really big claim. What's that? Well, I'm changing the name of the company. Yeah. Wait, what? What are you changing it to? It's just called Meta. So now get on board. And people are like, nope, I'm out. And so it makes it really easy when you say, this is what the new train is called and where it's headed. And then guess what? People just leave and go to Coinbase. And then he doesn't have to pay anybody their, you know, their whatever. Like when you fire him, you give him a, I don't even know how to Severance. call it anymore. Severance package. Thank you. Haven't fired anybody in a while. <laughs> pay so, him in Libra. Yeah, yeah, pay him and leave on the way out the door. So I think that like this is a move where, you know, maybe he's a first mover, maybe he's a second mover. I don't know what you call meta. They don't even have a metaverse. So I feel like he's seen his first wave of Decentraland, of, meta, of, of voxels, of, you know, of sandbox, and then say, you know what, we're going to come in and do it our way. And maybe it is not decentralized exactly, but you're going to love it because I'm we're Facebook. I mean, yeah. they have they have some power there, I feel like. Even I, those I actually appreciate that vantage point. I, I think I'm maybe a little bit um, leaning on the the decentralized community at the moment, who is a bit fearful of, um, you know, what they might be setting out to build, especially given the advertising history <laughs> that they bring to the table. And while you know advertising is not going anywhere anytime soon, the transparency in that kind of targeting and the data collection that Facebook has shown and you know, some of the challenges that they had right at the time they changed that name that I think they're trying to, to turn a blind eye to. I don't think there've been good answers uh, for what that's gonna look like in the Web3 space. Um, I kind of want to shift gears. We, we talked about governments, we talked about the changing marketplaces. Uh, have you gone down the NFT path? I know for the holidays, I've gifted you what I believe to be your first uh, Zed Run horse. So My first now horse, an, baby. You've got an NFT in your wallet. I know you had minted a few yourself. Uh, any cool NFT projects coming on your radar? Yeah, so there's been a pretty cool project that I, I stumbled upon just because through some updates. But it's a project that's uh, from a company that's called warpsound.ai. Um, and I'm pretty excited about it because I know, I know the founder, I know some of the founding team. Um, I'm definitely going to be doing a mint to grab one. There'll be a, a classic 10,000 mint. I want to say it's either Monday or Tuesday of next week. I forget exactly. Um, you can check out the website though. It's like, and it, they have these things called warps that are spelled W V RPSs. The actual uh, URL is warpsound.ai, the way you think it's spelled. But the idea here is, you know, we've always talked about major artists, label, major label artists, and like the way that uh, Post Malone can drop an NFT where he's like a virtual concert in your living room kind of thing that is a song that no one's heard, or the Wu-Tang Clan does a single or double edition of a, an album, but as an NFT. You, you've seen these celebrities using great uh, cachet and social power to drive the sale of stuff. I mean, let's just 
being like Melania Trump in some way is effectively the same thing as all those people. It's just that it's not a song per se, but her NFTs have her husband speaking and like his the best lines that he's had at, at, at conferences or whatever at rallies. So where's music like for the independent artists come from? And that's sort of where I was thinking, but this angle, which is so unique is that the programmatic or algorithmic design of the visuals. And there are these like different characters. One's kind of a dragon character. One's like a, an alt-punk looking future cyborg girl. One's like a rabbit who seems like he's on another planet. There's like four or five of these characters. And each of those characters are going to have all these NFTs that have these different attributes that are, you know, the rarity engine will assign the attributes like, like everything else. But on top of the visual, there's going to be an, a, a rarity engine on top of an AI music composing function, which is going to create an original track for the NFT. So while you see a, a animated GIF loop of your attributes of your NFT, you're also going to hear a fully programmatic designed audio file, every one of which will be unique. So a 10,000 unique soundtracks for the NFT, who's the artist, the machines. Like I didn't think about that as this new layer, but I think you and I on a previous uh, episode, we talked about how in the future, the machines might end up making songs. And then how do you do royalties? Is it the person who wrote the software who then makes the output or is it the person who owns the, you know what I mean? Like it starts to get a little weird when you start playing with, maybe you start playing with samples of actual recording artist music. And then how do you reconcile the paying of those? I mean, it's starting to, it's starting to kind of blew my mind open a little bit, but I just want to share that one as a kind of a newer angle. Since I, I'm, I mean, I love music, but I haven't heard what the sound songs are going to sound yeah. like. It's just, it's a fascinating I, concept. I love the idea of this whole generative art movement. Cause I think that's been a big trend. We, we didn't really cover that as a trend, but everyone kind of generally understands what generative art is with these traits and, and how you can get to 10,000 one of ones, but then applying that uh, algorithmic logic to audio uh, and music creation, and then uh, layering in an AI element where, and I have seen a couple of uh, generative PFP, you know, 2D JPEG image projects that are using this generative art to um, an AI, this GAN technology, which I think we talked a little bit about, where you can sort of tell it, I want, you know, I want a beach scene with a drink in the middle and a table, and it can mm-hmm. just generate 10,000 versions of that because there, it has images of beaches, tables, and drinks, and it can mash them all together. Imagine applying that same AI logic from a generative perspective to music. Here's the baseline. Here's the, uh, the you know, the the chorus here's each of the pieces of the song and let the algorithm write the beat i mean that makes sense to me and i think the artist is the person who creates the code who generates that and creates it and then final thing you talk about like that gets weird about who owns what and how royalties and that to me that's the whole point of this we have disrupted yeah. ownership what is the point of ownership what does ownership mean um in a digital space in a physical space and how does how is it rewarded i think you know that's an interesting concept to then apply to what you just described of who gets paid for creating that well yeah the community that buys it <laughs> well i'm going to try to grab one of these off the mint i'm going to give you feedback just to give a shout out uh my main man uh, mr chris mcgarry is the founder of the project we worked together at a, in a previous life he's a really great guy out of san francisco and what's cool about this community is that if you want to check out twitch i want to say it's twitch tv slash maybe warp sound no ai um every week and there's one tomorrow at 6 p.m pacific they do um a live session that 
that is live streaming how and what they do for the generative music aspect. And it's pretty, so I want to check that out tomorrow. So thanks again for letting me talk about that one. I think it's a pretty neat one. The other one I've really been excited about is diving more into this interesting, um, I don't know how you describe it. It's, it's got, it kind of dubs tail back around to us with the political side of things, the governments, because South Korea happens to be one of the biggest countries in the world for NFT games. United States, of course, is pretty big on gaming, generally speaking. And both the United States and South Korea, I want to say, have been put on notice by Apple that says that you can't have a play-to-earn game in the App Store that requires the user to pay money to buy an NFT to play. That they can be able to play for free, but then will can opt to, to buy up later. Whereas a lot of the most popular NFT games do require you to throw that ETH around early. And I just don't, I haven't heard South Korea's response. I think they just didn't even respond. It's interesting. And so I think that's going to change kind of the dynamic of how, for me, the whole NFT gaming world, as soon as that, if if the regulations come into place, then you're going to see this thing blow up in mainstream like crazy. Like right now, only people like you and me know, because we're the only people with ETH in our wallet who can get these damn things. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I, we haven't talked about the apes at all in this podcast, but the, uh, the BAYC community launched a, play to earn game this was always on the roadmap this was mutant apes versus the genesis apes in a in a play to earn game they put it inside of apple test flight you could only get access to the game if you held one of the board apes in your wallet and they had to go live they were doing all the hype in the discord i downloaded the thing ready to play and literally the 12 hours before the game went live they got rubbed by apple so Ooh. Apple pulled the rug on the Board Ape Yacht Club play-to-earn game for exactly the reason that you just described, which was the only way you could play the game was if you held one of these. They pulled it, um, and it's supposed to be relaunching. So I will follow back up on where that game is. But I heard mid-January, so that would be now. Um, I'll check to see if it has come back online or how they're going to get around that from a play-to-earn uh, perspective. Yeah, it'll be really great to see that. And what is, what's the next thing on the roadmap, actually? Let's, let's toss it back to you for NFTs. What are you seeing? Are you seeing roadmap expansion being the future of kind I of mean, coolness of these projects? Or are you seeing brand new projects coming into Scoop communities? Most of the projects that I am seeing are looking and grasping right now for 3D and AR utility. So all these projects that were 2D JPEG images, you name it, um, they're PFP projects, they're all wearing clothes. And just right. like what you saw the Adidas guys do with the Bored Apes, you see Nike acquiring Artifact. We've talked about this. All of the other generative art projects now rushing to create 3D versions of those 2D JPEGs because now they can give it and airdrop it as utility to the original owners. So there's a scramble right now from a lot of these 10,000 generative art projects to get 3d models of their assets <laughs> because because they want to walk into sandbox they want to walk into decentraland they need something to give to their community to say look we're still building we're still creating for you you didn't just buy this nft but you're in you know your avatar is wearing a a leather jacket oh here's a 3d model of the the clothing here's a 3d model of the hat and then you're seeing a, some of the projects then taking the next leap which is into the physical merch um, aspect of it 
the play to earn piece I think is finally coming online sandbox alpha coming out of alpha there's a couple of big NFT projects that purchased land uh, ape harbor being one of the largest they purchased 144 parcels of land my guess Whoa. is to build a play to earn game using the yachts um, that's a bit of alpha and then one other piece of alpha from the pure 3dm perspective we are working on our own nft drop so that is straight up alpha has not been announced uh anyone listening be on the lookout for um <laughs> you know we're going to whitelist some artists so um and actually provide blank 3d models for users to come add their art to a blank hoodie to a blank sweatshirt to a blank pair of pants to a blank mm. t-shirt to a blank hat create it design it in 3D, it's already Decentraland ready. It's already augmented reality. It's already, you walk into any metaverse with it. The utility is built in from our perspective. So we're gonna try to uh, have, I think about 10 uh, uh, different artists as part of a collective hmm. that we wanna make a um, an NFT, a 3D NFT drop likely in Q1. So it's it's it, coming, it's a lot wow, of work. Wow, that's, that's what some gems here. So let me just ask you real quick. So how like, what, what does it look like? I'm one of the artists identified for the collective and I'm going to go into this environment and I am going to um, design the hat. Do, am I in a an Oculus VR design studio? Am I in front of my laptop? Am I with my phone? Like how, how just to walk me through how someone might do this via 3DM UI. So today it's you're on your you're on your laptop inside of a uh a web publisher. So inside mm -hmm. of a, a publishing, a 3D modeling environment, that is our platform, Unlimited 3D. The model exists. There are functions across the top for camera controls and lighting packages. And the one that we will basically uh, use as part of this project is an overlay functionality where anybody, whether you're a designer or a developer, you can come in and upload a drawing, um, upload your artwork, and overlay it on top mm -hmm. of an existing uh, 3D model. And our, our technology will programmatically lay that 2D image over the contours of whatever the asset may be. So the hat, the jacket, the sweatshirt, et cetera. You can that now create like a product. pretty cool studio. That's a really great looking studio. Yeah, I'm excited to see that. That's cool. So straight up alpha. Let's do this again next week. Uh, thanks so much, man. We'll do it again. Happy 2022. Hey, it was fun. Happy New Year again. Happy 2022. Welcome to the Deuce Deuce. Off the record, on the rocks. <laughs>